Subscribe for free to the Grizzlies podcast. Now available on iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app. This is the Grizzlies podcast with the only beat writer the Memphis Grizzlies have ever known, Ron Tillery, with columnist Jeff Conkins and pick and pop columnist Chris Harrington. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Chris Harrington. I'm in the driver's seat today for the Grizzlies podcast. We have Ron and Jeff both here as well. The playoffs are over for the Grizzlies. The exit interviews are done, and most of the players are probably already on the beach, if not in Cancun. Ron and Jeff, are you guys enjoying those drinks with the little umbrellas today? <laughs> I wish I was. I wish I was. Uh, it's not that time yet, but... Um I tell you what, uh, guys, it's a heck of a time to catch a cold in Memphis. <laughs> the weather's been up and down, and so have I. So I, I got to get right first before I can vacation. Yeah, I'm just on full-time tubby, tubby flogging. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I've shifted from Janet Parsons uh, flogging to tubby flogging. So there we are. There's always hoops drama of some kind in Memphis. You, you, you can't get away. There is no off-season. Um, no. So we all picked the Spurs in five in the Grizzlies first round series. It went a game longer than we expected. I ask you guys as a way of transitioning out of that and into the off season. Did the Grizzlies playoffs change the way the team is viewed or perhaps views themselves views itself as, as we head into the off season? I don't think so. I mean, um, they are who they are, who we thought they were. <laughs> I mean, uh, they were once up two one on the Warriors. I mean, they 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 play well against the top competition, and so uh, while we all predicted a short series, I don't think any one of us was surprised that they competed because that's what the Grizzlies do. Even though that they've been bounced in the first round more times than not, I think it changed Chris the way that the season is perceived. I don't think the way that the way the team is largely perceived. Had they gone out in five. I think the general tenor of this, of as we looked at the season, would have been somewhat disappointment. As Marcus All said, forty-three wins is. I, I think probably they underachieved slightly in terms of the just a win total for the regular season, and if they had stacked on top of that a four or five game dispiriting loss to the Spurs, we would have seen this season differently. I think the fact that they gave us two brilliant memories in games three and game four, they gave us big tap for data and they gave us, we're not, you know, they're not going to rook us. And they gave us Mark's winning shot. To me, it was one of the, it wasn't one of the longer post seasons, but it was memorable, just like a lot of the great Grizzlies post seasons. And so I think from a aesthetic fan perspective, it changed the way that that season will be viewed. I don't think organizationally, or even for fans thinking about the future, it changes things at all. The problems are still the problems, the challenges are still the challenges, and the way forward is still pretty murky. What I would say is, this is this is the first time in this playoff stretch, seven years playoff stretch, where they've been bounced in the first round two years in a row. And I think in most circumstances, that would increase the feeling of this whole thing is stalled out. 
it's you know it's it's as good it's been as good as it's going to get it's headed the other way and people would be talking more about breaking it up and sort of going in a different direction but i think the way mike conley played in particular you know we talk about him being older he's not even 30 he's only 28 i think i think he's 29 this summer the way he played and with him still under contract and then gasol under contract even though gasol was maybe a little disappointed in the playoffs i think the way conley played sort of underscores the the notion that it's hard to get two players that good together like short of a true superstar that's as good as you can get the way Conley played reinforces even more the idea of you can win with these two guys together if you can somehow find a better mix around them well that speaks to what how do you define winning we mocked Jerry West because he he built a relevant franchise and they ultimately went 0-12 in the playoffs I agree with him in the sense that he always says winning isn't just winning the playoff game or winning the series winning is making a run maybe it's not on Fisdale or the talent but on management to answer, can right. you make a run now with Mike and Mark? And I, I suspect we're going to get into this because I, I think they maximize their potential this season, especially with Chandler Parsons being out. And Mike's playoffs was really an extension of his regular season, right. you know, because he had a, a pretty phenomenal regular season without uh, the back injury. So, so now what is the front office going to do? Because even though Mark says 43 is unacceptable, what could they have done you know, with, with the group that they had assembled? In the end, they only had one more win than they had the previous year when they were playing with, like, spare parts. And so I still think you look at some of those disappointing losses to the to the Brooklyns and the Lakers, and I think fully achieving might have been 45 or 46 wins. And, and a lot of that was because of, let's be honest, forcing Chandler Parsons into the lineup, I think, created. And right. you heard it in Mark's exit interview when asked why they didn't achieve in the second half of the season up to the level of the first half of the season. He said, I don't want to talk about that because a lot of those things are inside the locker room. It spoke to the, to the dysfunction that existed inside the locker room, I think largely around the Parsons thing. I, I'm not really, I, I'd say it's not that important to quibble whether they should have right. won 45 or 43 or 41. Right. Right. I think that, to me, the question is, though, is that I, I, it will always been and has been how can they put pieces around Mark and Mike? And the problem is this year, they really have less flexibility in terms of doing that than truly any summer or any off season ever to Chris's point, they're not blowing this, blowing this thing up means getting rid of market or Mike, And they're not going to do that. They shouldn't do that. And the only reason they honestly, I think would have contemplated doing that is at some point, Mark had become dissatisfied and indicated that he wanted to pull a pow and Graham and at the postseason interview, he was as all in as I've sort of heard. Like he, he didn't hint at that, that at all. Last year, he sounded kind of grumpy at his postseason interview. And this year, he just sounded determined to get better and do better. And I think that to me speaks to that they will, Ron, as you said, they'll have to try to do something, but it will be around Mike and Mark. Let's get into the exit interviews. You sort of broke, broke into that. Marcus All was dissatisfied with the regular season record and his own rebounding. He hinted at some problems in, behind the scenes in the second half. Brandon Wright dissatisfied with his role. Tony Allen's not trying to break the bank. You guys were both down there. What of those or other things, what were sort of the biggest things you took out of that? I'm particularly interested, Ron, in your take on Gasol's suggestion that, that you know there were maybe some internal problems in the second half of the season? Well, there was a lot of self-awareness that went on in, in that exit uh, session. 
that didn't necessarily go on during the season. I mean, you heard it from Fisdale, but Fisdale has been self-deprecating the, the, the whole year. I mean, he, he's always acknowledged, you know, when he's messed up. But it was particularly interesting for Mark. Having the benefit of traveling with the team, and I think that's where a beat rider's uh, role is more valuable, Mark didn't always acknowledge his foibles. And we can get into all of that, but, I mean, what difference will it make? I mean, he wasn't necessarily always on board with the way they played and with his relationship with Fisdale. Those are facts. And so, yeah, it's nice for him to come to the end of the season, exit interview, and and, and say, well, I got to rebound more and, you know, I'm, I'm loyal to the locker room. What matters most is what happens in the moment throughout the course of the season. And so I'm not going to pile on Mark. All I'm saying is that sometimes he gets a pass, and sometimes what makes him great makes him grating, yeah. uh, if you get my grip. That's not any different than teams with stars. The most difficult thing I have with Mark in this season was when Fisdale actually went to Mike and Mark and said, listen, I'm thinking about some changes. What do you think? Mike put his, his two cents in and Mark is just like, that's not my job. You know, do what you want to do, you know, blah, 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 you know, but that's not the NBA. <laughs> you know, as much as we talk about today's NBA in terms of running and gunning and shooting threes, the NBA is about star players and star players want that and they crave that and they participate in that. You think you think Marcus All's moodiness during the regular season was about more than just resistance to the forcing Chandler Parsons on them when he wasn't healthy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there is no question about that. When when he talks about his standards and all that stuff, that's great. But you know what? As a player, at some point, you have to adhere to the standard of the team. I, I've heard successful coaches from Hubie Brown to Lionel Holland always talk about developing your skill set for the team. And I think that's something that Mark struggles with. Well, first of all, I thought he was, I thought he was, I, I was surprised by his accident interview because I didn't expect him to be, well, listen, people didn't bring up his rebounding. People outside around Mark bring up his rebounding all the time. He wasn't asked about it. And on his own, he said, I need to get stronger. I need to get stronger with my lower body. Rebounding is an issue for me. So I appreciated that level of self-awareness. And honestly, I was surprised by it. I appreciated it, and I was surprised by it. Because you don't hear that from my film talk broadly about how it starts with me and whatever. But to literally to point at something specifically that he did not do well. And I think, he, he, I think honestly, he was reacting to the previous night's loss that he was sort of taking, in some ways, taking responsibility for, which... In the end, as he said, it's your final test, it's your final exam, and we failed, and we partly failed because I didn't rebound. And I thought that was refreshing. Mark is a stubborn dude, and he molds his, and he has his own way of doing things. He he clearly is coachable in the sense of he didn't tell David Fusdale, no, I'm not going to shoot threes. He started to shooting threes, and he benefited for it, and the team benefited for it. I don't think you're ever going to get Mark to chip in on who should be starting, who should not be starting. And if you if you insist on that, you'll always be disappointed. When Mark was asked in the post game post in the postseason press conference, what did he think of Ray Fisdale? Well every other player asked that says, Oh, I think Dave did a great job. He communicated, he like Vince went on and on about how he put all these players in position at career years, et cetera. And Mark just looks at you and says, I don't consider that my job to evaluate coaches. I didn't wish Lionel, I didn't with whatever. And so if you think Mark is going to suddenly be 
that guy, I think you're beating your head against the wall. But, but, he's not going to be that guy. But, get, get, and, get but him. you can get him to play differently, I think, and you have. And I've often said that, you know, Mark is like a building with no doors and windows. I mean, right. like, trying, to get, trying to get into his head, you know, is a fruitless exercise. <laughs> Counter to your point, Jeff, Mark never had a, a problem talking about Lionel and what Lionel meant and what, what Lionel brought to the table. Mark never had a problem with going to Lionel and saying, Rudy won't pass me the ball in pick and rolls. Mark never had a problem going to management and saying what he thought the team needed and wanted. And I don't want to like sound like I, I'm not- I mean, you're exactly right. He went, as you famously wrote, he called you over when he didn't want him to trade Mike Connolly and said, yo, 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 right. don't trade right. Mike Connolly. Right. then. To me, the biggest problem with this franchise, you want more out of market times. I just think that when you're talking about issues with the franchise, they're everything that you can do around market Mike. They aren't fundamentally market Mike. No, no, they're, they're absolutely not. And, and that's why I don't want to make it a pile on, on Mark. But the reality is, it, it, just as it is in today's NBA that you got to shoot threes and you got to have versatile players, everybody's not a role player. I'm sick of hearing him say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You 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 are you are a two time max guy, a three time All Star who is counted on to bring you home in the fourth quarter of an elimination game. Please stop it. That that that's his role. His role is to bring, just like Fizdale said in Game Four. Or, uh, yeah, game four when they won in overtime. The first thing out of his mouth, Mark bring us home. And did Mark hesitate, you know, when they were joking about whether the ball should have gone to Mike? No. He caught the ball, he whirled, and he shot that. I think that's the frustration with Mark. But it's not about Mark. I think it's about the franchise making better decisions. What did you think about the Brandon Wright thing? Because I did, that was striking how unbelievably unhappy and vocally unhappy he was. Uh, to me, it did To me, it did suggest I would have imagined that Brandon Wright would have been a part of what they are going forward just because he gives them something on a pretty reasonable contract that they don't have. But given, A, how little he played in the playoffs and B, his level, his level of vocal discontent, I now think he will probably not be a Grizzly next year. Well, I, I, I don't think so either. I mean, I, I think they have an opportunity to create some space, uh, cap space. Quite frankly, I, I wasn't all that – I don't know. I wasn't in tune to, to, uh, to Brandon Rice's comments simply because he spent most of his Grizzlies career injured. And so right. you're healthy for like two games and now you want a bitch. I mean, like that, – you know, like, that's a great point. They didn't have time to figure out what he was in the context of the team, because by the time yeah. that he came back, you know, later into this season, they had a rotation they developed that was productive and they're in a playoff race and they just didn't have the time to spend to figure out how well he plays with Mark, how well he plays with Zach, what's the right role for him. And when you haven't gotten that nailed down going into the playoffs, it's hard to find that role there unless other circumstances force you to go to that, and that's not really what happened in, in that series. No, and, and it's like, you know, you think Marcus Gasol didn't pass Chandler Parsons the ball last season. You let uh, Chandler Parsons come back talking about wanting to be the number one option. Let's see how that works out. Dude, you have not been a part of this. At all. The idea of trading Brandon Wright, which I think we all think is a possibility, let's push into free agency a little bit because that'll impact their decisions there. Chris Wallace says it's too soon to talk about free agency. I wish he was right about that, but he does not have a podcast to produce. And so we have to move forward <laughs> and talk about free agency. So let's talk about the odds of the four free agents they have, Tony, Zach, Vince, and Jermichael Green, with the initial odds of what we th- where the, we think they might come back. But let's throw the Brandon Wright thing into that mix because – 
if if they do trade Brandon Wright in a deal that creates more more financial space rather than for a, a player in a similar contract, does that imply to you, Ron, since you brought that up as a possibility, does that imply to you that, that if they do that, they might try to bring back Zach Randolph and Jermichael Green? Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, oh, or, you know what? Um, something that we overlook, too, is the opportunity to put Deontay Davis in the mix. So I, I think... I think the odds go up with with Zach Randolph and Jay Michael Green coming back, but I don't I don't see that as a like a, a a certain thing because Deontay Davis is an NBA player. Don't you want him next season to be a fourth big, not a third big? Like you don't want him to be you don't want him to be fifth on the depth chart because you want him to get time. But if he's third going in, that's too big of a role. I feel like you want him in that sort of fourth spot on the depth chart, which would mean bringing back three of the four guys you have above him now. Yeah, well, I mean, and then and then you got Jarrell Martin, I mean, who who doesn't right. have a role either. So, I mean, like, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think in, in, in the broader sense, the draft is going to dictate or at least indicate, I should say, uh, where the Grizzlies are headed in the offseason. Well, that, because that, I mean, like you, you, you could package uh, Brandon Wright, who has a very favorable contract, with with some of your young guys that that just doesn't fit here. You clear money, clear money room. You clear a roster spot, maybe, and that maybe is an Ooh. indication of, of what you're trying to do in trade. I, I I think I think that's true. The Grizzlies don't have a draft pick, but that doesn't mean they won't be making moves on draft night. And so I do think what they do or don't do around the draft is going to be a tip-off a little bit to free agency. I so, do think the Jermichael Green thing, by the way, on, on Jermichael, I'm sort of with you, you all. I can imagine a Mark, Jermichael, Zebo, and Davis group of bigs. Jermichael was interesting because he very clearly, he's incredibly grateful to David Fisdale for the role that he put him in. You can tell when players say they like it here and they really do, and they're just moving their lips and when they're actually really like it here. And to Michael Green, you know, he's from Alabama. It, it, this place fits him. I really do believe he badly wants to be back here. He's also the one guy who said, I have a number in mind. So I, I do think a lot will be contingent on what that number is. We've seen his name up on the Orlando Magic whiteboard as a restricted free agent that they think they might go after. I expect him, the Grizzlies will want him back and will bring him back, but I don't expect that at literally. I do think there are limits to what they're willing to pay for him. Well, you know, the thing about that is, uh, and I agree with you, I think there will be a limit for the Grizzlies. We also have to keep in mind that what a guy may be worth, you know, in, in the media's mind, the fans' mind, doesn't matter because the landscape and, and the, uh, um, you know, the financial uh, dynamic of the NBA has changed so much. I love John I loved him when he was here. The guy makes $10 million a year. And I happen to think that Jay Michael Green is better than him. So Yeah, but I, you know, I, I bet John Luter wouldn't make $10 million this coming up summer. That would be my guess. So you're saying that the the, the, dyna- the financial dynamic will change based on the bad contracts that were doled out last year? Partly. I hear, here's what I think, and I may well be proven wrong on this. I haven't gone through all 30 teams and looked at cap room, but, but I think, one, a lot of money got spent last summer and a lot of long-term money, and a lot of it was not well spent. Two, the cap is going to go up this summer, but it's going to go up much less than it did last summer, so the, the curve is starting to bend. And after this mm-hmm. summer, it's going to plateau. And I think that people are going to people are going to bake that into what they're want, wanting to do. But then the other things are the mid-level exception is going to go up. Rookie contracts are going to go up. Minimum contracts are going to go up. And so I just feel like in terms of free agent 
contracts beyond the mid-level. For all of those reasons, I feel like it's going to tamp down a little bit relative to what it was last summer. And so I don't think well, I, could, I don't think he'll get the John Lure contract. I may be proven wrong, but I don't think he'll get it. I don't think John Lure would get it. Well, I can see that. I can see that. I'm just saying I, it's not going to be unreasonable for him to expect that. Well, it only, it, only, right. it, only, it only takes one team to do that, right? <laughs> right, right. And, and, I mean, there are teams out there who see how – I mean, it's kind of the James – I don't know if you agree with this, Chris, but it's kind of the James Posey effect. It's kind of like how Memphis used uh, Dave Michael Green is how other teams are, are envisioning uh, him in a role – uh, albeit a ten million or twelve million dollar role helping them. Well, For instance, Minnesota. I mean, like, would, would right. Minnesota want a guy like that 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 allows Big Cat to just roam free while Jay Michael just guards every best big man on the court like he like he freed up Mark. Right. I can see. I can see that. Would you? It's interesting the playoffs with him because he went into the playoffs as a starter. He got moved to the bench in the middle of the series. By the end of the series, it felt like you know maybe that that may or may have actually not been the right move. I mean, the Zach Randolph thing. Zach was not as good after game three as he had been. You know, second half of game two, game three, and so whether they were better with Zach or Jamichael is sort of up for debate in the series. What I what I would say is that while Zach Randolph might be back, I don't think they they would be comfortable with Zach Randolph as the starter going into next season. I think they might be comfortable with, with Jamichael Green again as the starter. Do you, do you think that they'd be fine with him as their starting power forward again? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in addition to him just proving them right in terms of how he performed in that role, uh, they've invested so much in him. The poor de- see this, this Now we're going to get into this. I think the poor decision-making is starting to, to weigh heavy on, on the front office. I mean, Troy Williams should be on this roster. Right. And, and so and so they went and got uh, Wayne Selden because you know they felt like we can't let a, a, let another young guy go. But Jay Michael Green, you've invested in tremendously, and he fits what Fisdale wants to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally envision that. I mean, Fisdale said it plainly in, in the preseason. Zach is is who he is right now at age thirty five. He's a backup guy. That's why. Beyond the, the sentimental value of Zach Randolph, you, you got to bring him back because he proved himself to be very productive in that role. For basketball reasons, you bring him back. I mean, I, I just think if it's astronomical, you know, it crunches them because of, and, and we're going to go back to this too, Chandler Parsons <laughs> and, and what the, the payroll looks like. Unless it's astrono- astronomical, you know, you got to bring him back. Well, that's the problem. I don't really know what they're all. They they very clearly don't want Zach to be the starting power forward next year. Mm-hmm. And so, if they don't bring Jermichael Green back, who is it's that? Not, it doesn't look like Jerrell Martin's ready for that. Yeah, certainly not going to be Jerrell Martin. So, I actually imagine that Jermichael will be back unless he gets blown away with an offer that makes it just really uncomfortable. I think Zebo does fit that role of the score in the second group, which they obviously need. In terms of going through the, the list, I think Brandon Wright will not be back for one reason or another. I think that, that we can get to Tony in a yeah. minute, but the other one I think will not be back likely is Vince Carter, and that's simply, if you look at, he's done a magnificent job. It's unbelievable to, to think about how important he was at age 40 to this team, not just off the court, elder statesman, whatever, but he was critical on the court. But next year, you basically, you're you're a small forward. You've got the dream that is Chandler Parsons or the dream of a healthy Chandler Parsons. You've got James Ennis, and then they're going to bring in Radek Zagorich from, from Europe. 
and I think those are your that, that's your rotation at three. I think it's pretty well settled that's your rotation at three, unless I guess they move James Ennis in some one of these packages. And so I don't really see where there's a place for Vince. It's certainly hard to envision Tony and Vince both being back. And it could well be that they're both gone, but I have a hard time seeing them for the reasons you say, Jeff, in terms of the roster makeup, finding room for both of them. Where, where are you with that, Ron? I mean, it's not about anything other than the, the, the fact that you have so many wings. They got wing players under contract, and, and as Jeff said, they're going to bring Roddy over. That's going to be a numbers crunch. It's really odd to think about it in those terms with, with a superstar like Vince Carter, but he is 40. Are you going to sacrifice the future of your franchise on a wing for a 40-year-old? But, but see, that leads us into management. Like, what does it say that when the Chandler Parsons things fall apart and you got all these young wings on your roster that you have to start a 40-year-old? Uh-huh. I thought about this a little bit today, guys. You know, and you may disagree. That's fine. People mocked Mike Heiser's three-year plan. But in, in the end, it was a plan, and it got him to the playoffs, and it created this seven-year run. And it created grit and grind. Ever since the ownership changed and the management changed, these guys have been able to tell people, Memphians, media, whatever they want, whatever the hell they wanted to tell them. You know, Rudy Gay's inefficient. Never mind that in six and a half seasons, he shot 46%. It was a salary dump. Last summer, they, they were just honest about Chandler Parsons. He was nowhere near ready. And then even when they trotted him out there, he wasn't ready. But everybody believed he was. They have got to make better decisions. It's not about Mike and Mark. It's not about whether they bring Zach or Tony back. It's about how the plan they have going forward to build this team in, in the modern-day NBA. And I don't see it. Well, they, they do have to make better decisions, and they have now earned themselves a lot of skepticism when it comes to injuries based on what they said about Chandler Parsons and what the reality was about Chandler Parsons. And that's not to even talk about the injury stuff with Brandon Wright and Jordan Adams before that. I think they've earned a lot of skepticism, and they have a lot to prove. Before we wrap up, anything you want to throw into that, Jeff? No, I mean, they, they've obviously done—it's an interesting thing. Like, people want to rip— Chris Wallace all the time now. It's a complicated topic for two reasons. One is he really is as responsible, you know, I, to the extent that we know who was responsible for what, he really did first the score four. And so, but that was a long time ago at right. this point. The other thing that right. complicates it. Seven years ago. The other thing, and, and seven years, and then they've just failed utterly at, at, at putting pieces around him. The other part of it, of course, is you don't know now. We're back into this muddle of you don't know who's deciding what. How much of this is Chris Wallace? How much is it Chris Wallace? How much is. How, we're back to that sort of, you know, reading the tea leaves or Kremlinology of trying to figure out who does what. I think you have to give him credit for putting the four, core four together to begin with. And then I think you have to give the front office whoever it's been credit for hiring one good coach after another. Like that was probably the best thing they did last summer was hire David Tisdale. So you've got to give him credit for that. And I think you've got to give him credit for some of the small tinkerings and discoveries that they've done, like Joe Michael Green. But their big efforts to put pieces around Mark and Mike have failed utterly. I have no great faith in the new, you know, I, I can talk myself into thinking Roddy's going to be great or something, or but I'm, I'm talking myself into it. And so... I don't really know how they get dynamic pieces around Mark and Mike this summer. I find it, yeah, I think it's it's hard to imagine how they will do that. It's hard to imagine, honestly, given the lack of flexibility, how any front office would do it, much less a front office that has proven time and again that they can't find those pieces. It's not. Okay. <laughs> there was no real and quality evalu- evaluation of Chandler Parsons. It's hindered everything going forward. Well, on, on that cheerful note, um, this 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 this, this, 
this will leave us a lot to talk about this summer, no doubt. I like Chandler. Yeah. Let me go on record and say I like Chandler. I saw Chandler after game three. We shook hands. He was pleasant. And Jeff, you know this better than any of us because you had the ball sit down. He's hard not to like. No, I, I mean, and as a long sit down after I've been critical of him, he couldn't have been nicer, and I find it difficult. But it, it's it's not Chandler Parsons; it's the front office that decided to roll the dice with Chandler Parsons. Well, the, the agonies of Parsons will continue through the summer and into the fall, more than likely. We'll have plenty to talk about this summer. Um, we will probably not do so on a week to week basis. We'll 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 get the band back together on an as needed basis throughout the summer. Ron and Jeff, I'm gonna let you guys go back to your beach cabanas and your fruity drinks. <laughs> um, and for everyone else out there thanks for listening please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on itunes or google play just search grizzlies podcast and please make sure to rate and review the show you can also follow me on twitter at harrington nba ron at ca grizzbeat and jeff at at jeff calkins and of course you can read our coverage at commercialpill.com for ron and jeff i'm chris harrington is the commercial appeal.